Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 40-year Wall Street analysts who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with a couple of candid ideas here on the show each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we have three pretty good ideas uh, from Wall Street and uh, some economic news and a couple of Moe's musings as well. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional money managers and analysts during the week. We do a lot of careful uh, forecasting. We talk to management teams. And uh, here we've been very careful to do very little of that at all. Third, um, our lawyers have told us to remind you that we do not have your interests in mind really at all. I used to say mostly not in mind. Now I'm advised to say not at all. We just have our own interests. And fourth, Mo, and I know you're in training, but in my case, I have been heavily drinking. Now see all our caveats, disclosures, mothers, pictures that only they would take at www.thevalueguys.com. And also one final word, um, Mo and I take email. We love email. We answer email. I'm Val at thevalueguys.com. And Mo, uh, I forget what yours is. Mo at thevalueguys.com. <laughs> That's a hard one to Oh, remember. yeah. I couldn't remember that. Anyway, give us a jingle. Uh, let us know what you want to talk about. And uh, we probably won't do it, but we like to know what it is anyway. Um, and so we'll look for that next week. Now, we do have some great ideas for you later in the show, um, maybe or medium. Uh, so skip ahead if you want to just get to that. We also put out a little piece called the Value Guys Stock Clips. So uh, I've been just taking the clips where we're given the meat of some ideas, putting a dollar sign in front of the tickers, putting it out there. You should be able to Google some of the names we've been talking about and skip all this nonsense that Mo and I chatter about in the beginning and get right to the meat of those stocks. Uh, on the other hand, if you like pure nonsense, just listen to the whole show. Uh, so that's out there as well. Um, and now, Mo, we have a section of the show we've just named, really, called Mo's Musings. So take it away, Mo. Mo's Musings. Mo's uh, Musings, yeah. Interesting article in the New York Times this week. Uh, we've been talking about paradigm shifts on the show a lot. COVID is changing the way we shop. It's changing the way we play. And um, there was just, there were some statistics in the New York Times uh, this week on what's happening with commercial real estate in New York City. And it's, it's mind blowing. I saw that. It is mind blowing. You know, when, 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 when I worked in the city, you were in a crowd and I mean a crowd, not just a, a you were in a dense crowd from the minute you woke up until the minute you got home at night. Now think about this, you wake up in the morning, what do you do? You get on a train coming in from the suburbs and it is packed, it's packed. There's three people sitting in the, in the bench seats next to you. There's people standing in that train. You get to Grand Central Station. And what does that look like? It's a packed, packed. Well, you might not get a seat also. Remember that part, unfortunately. Now you wander through Grand Central Station and you're probably 
touching shoulders with uh, you know 2,000 people as you get to the subway. Now you're in a packed subway car, then you exit. Now you're on a crowded street. You walk into a crowded lobby, you get on a crowded elevator and you're let off on a crowded trading floor. You stay there for the better part of the morning and then you <clears throat> head back down a crowded elevator into a crowded restaurant for lunch. <clears throat> you're with the crowd all the time. So the, the, the New York Times had some pictures of the streets and they had some statistics of what was happening with, with real estate in, uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Now, yeah, not for, good. <clears throat> Non-New Yorkers, Think of New York as about 11 blocks wide. I, you know, if you live in New York, you know that's not completely accurate, but it basically goes from 1st Avenue to 11th Avenue. So that's about how wide New York is. And I know there's some streets in there, there's some avenues in there that have names and not numbers, but that's, that's about how wide it is. And it goes from about zero street down in, down in the, the financial district. And I know, again, there's some names and not all numbers to about 100. So when you look at the Time Life Building, which is on 6th Avenue and 51st Street, think about it. That is smack dab in the middle of New York City. That's Midtown. That's about as central Midtown as you can get. It's right next to St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's right next to the, uh, the, uh, the skating rink at Rockefeller Center. It's right off of 5th Avenue where all the shopping is. This building, the Time Life Building, and I've been to... to to presentations there, Payne Weber back when they were a, a brokerage firm had a huge media conference. It's there. a beautiful building. It's a historic building in the center of town. It's been there yeah. 50 years or who knows when it was built. Uh, and they redid it a couple of years ago and it now can accommodate 8,000 8, occupants, 8,000 workers in one building. And um, in the last month, the average number of people Entering that building on a daily basis, 500. Yeah. 500. Here's another statistic. Um, in June of last year, Metro cards, now in, in New York City, you don't put quarters in the, in the, uh, in the subways. You use, a, you use a swipe card and it's called a Metro card. And, and last year on June 24th, there were 63,312 metro card swipes at the midtown subway stop at the time life building two weeks ago eight thousand swipes that's down 87 percent yeah there's another statistic when you walked outside it was great there were dozens and i do mean dozens there were probably 30 food carts and you could get everything from falafels to hot dogs to Brazilian food to Mexican food to French food, crepes, and then they were just, they were wall-to-wall food trucks. There is a picture of that street right now, and there is one lonely, one food truck. And the Those food truck guys are in a lot of trouble, I mean. There is nobody there. So they interviewed one of the food truck, the, the, the lone food truck operator, and they asked him, so how's the hot dog business? And he said, during normal times, he was selling 400 hot dogs a day. Now, maybe he's exaggerating. He said, but today he's selling more like 10 a day. So I know here in Florida, the Morgan Stanley brokers have been home since March. And uh, they have just been told they will not be going back into their offices until September. Yeah. They're going to be out of the office at least for seven months. 
And they're changing a lot of the protocols which allow them to accept signatures that are electronic signatures. So you don't have to physically meet with the clients. There's yep. all sorts of changes to the, um, to the uh, sort of regulations that guide brokers that, that normally would prohibit them from working too many hours at home. They, you know, they wanna be able to supervise them in the office and a lot of that's changing. And a lot of these guys may not be going back to work. So the real question yeah, is, absolutely. as good as some of these employment numbers are, that are coming out, my question is still, boy, I got to believe that if this change in the way people work it, it holds, and it's, it's completely counterintuitive. You know, when I was working years ago, the whole notion was you had open, open spaces because you wanted people to pollinate each other. You wanted people to mingle and ideas to flow and you didn't want office doors and walls and people were ripping out the corner offices and putting everybody on, on an open. Well, floor. the thing about our industry, Mo, is that, um, you know, it's a competitive business and in your office, there's energy in the air, on the floor, the brokers, the traders, the bankers your fellow analysts that wish they were covering your stock, the trader that wants your name, the, it's you're in an ecosystem of nature and only the strongest survive or they're dead. Yeah. Now everyone's at home and I just, I mean, I know everyone's trying, but I just think that little edge created by rubbing elbows in the hall with that guy that's trying to get your job that made you work a little harder that day, that's missing now in every industry, not just ours. And you wonder, I mean, I think it's temporary, but you wonder if that engine, just the competitive nature of that guy down the hall who you both want the corner office, now you're both in your backyard. You both have a, a backyard. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it, there are changes coming. I and no doubt when you look, talk to office managers and they're telling you how much it costs to, to maintain that office space, um, they may say that's an okay trade-off. We're going to lose. Yes, absolutely. We're going to lose a little bit of that edge and we're going to cut our, our office usage by a third or by 50%. Or only certain people will enjoy the benefit of, uh, of coming into the office. You know, that'll be more seen as a perk uh, rather than uh, requiring everybody to be there. And um, it's interesting. We'll have to see what happens. Another paradigm shift. And as you go through uh, Economic trends may be one of the things we can start taking a look at is what's going on with uh, commercial real estate, because my guess is it is not going to be pretty. And it's not. And, and even if you do see a rebound, these guys are taking a, a terrible hit over the course of the last six or seven months. Um, yeah, absolutely true. Mo. Let, uh, another reason which leads to one of the stocks I had picked out is uh, we are seeing something that's kind of exciting for us on the value, guys. We are seeing- We are? We are. Great, awesome. We're seeing the return of the individual investor who has been uh, in hiding. He's been like Bigfoot. He's been like the Loch's Nest monster. I saw some E-Trade statistics last week. So last year, they were, maybe you're gonna talk about it, but the uh -huh. number, okay, please go then. That's fascinating, yep. When in it, it during the dot com boom, I'll, I'll segue for one second. E, uh, e trade had some of the greatest ads ever, mm. ever in, in the history of finance. They had the greatest, greatest ads ever. I'll never forget there's a guy in a hospital room and he's lying on his stomach and sheet over him, and there's surgeons and nurses. He's got one call. <laughs> 
and he's lying there, and they, they've got the sheet pulled up just, just over his butt. And the surgeon's there with this giant tongue, and the tongue is full of money. And he's saying to the nurse, this guy, this guy is just, what did it, what was the, what would they say? He's, he's got money coming out of the wazoo. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so alarming to the doctors. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> everywhere. And that was their ads. And they made trading really fun. You know, lawyers don't let you say that now, Mo, but yeah. they, you could do it then. Absolutely. <laughs> that was the dot com boom. And that was a funny side. And this is a true story. My dry cleaner in New York City, true, honest about true story. My dry cleaner sent his family home to Greece for two week for a two week holiday because I got him in on an IPO as a friends and family. I mean, everybody talked about stocks. You go yeah. to Starbucks, everyone was sitting outside and everyone was talking about this was my name. This was my name. Oh, and God. Yes, absolutely. You could you could connect to it in any way. It was all you could talk about. But I think what you're going to tell me, Mo, is it's even worse now. Right. Or no. Well, what I'm going to tell you is that it, it, it really died out and all of a sudden it's, it's coming back. And these, I think, are the E-Trade e uh, statistics you were talking about. I, I look back to see how many retail accounts they were adding. And um, for, most of, for, for most of 2019, from January 2019 to January 2020, you know, they were adding about 20,000 accounts a month, roughly. And now listen to these numbers. In February of this year, they added 43,000 accounts. In March, 260,000 accounts. April was 134. May was 102. But Robinhood, which is a little more popular with the, the youth set, I think, uh, 3 million new accounts in the first quarter. I saw that, yeah. They just ran their order to flow, I heard, through um, uh, Citadel in Chicago. They just sold their order flow. So I'm not sure Robinhood might be taking the other side, Mo. If you give the trade to Citadel, I'm not sure your, your mom and pop are going to get the best side of that trade. Well, you know, that, that, that's, that's getting a little bit into the inside baseball part of, of, of this show, which is, so how do they give you free trading? Well, there's, you know, selling order flows. As well. um, may, yeah, or maybe you're not getting the, maybe the three cents you're trading is because you just gave up 10 cents on the price that you might have got. I mean, obviously. So, um, but so I, I thought, okay, so Robin Hood, I, you know, I, I, that's kind of a new name to me. I, I've heard it. It's been sort of on the peripheral. And I thought I would look at, so what's this about? Here are the names. These are the biggest names on Robinhood. The number one name, the number one name that people have invested in, in, in Robinhood, Ford Motor Company. Cutting edge, Ford Motor. I, don't, I, I mean, really. So, so we're going to pull up Ford today. I want you to help me look really? at the company. All right. Value. Well, I usually do a lot less work than this, but I'll pull it up. Sure. Let's see here. Well, let, me, let me just start by saying, if you look at Ford over the longer term and you just look at their stock price, it reads like a NASA countdown. In 2015, it was $15. 2016, it was $13. 2017, 
Yeah. Next year it went to 12. The next That's year, not sounding good, Mo. The next year it went to 11. <laughs> the next year it went to 8. Yeah. 2020 it was 9. And in March it got as low as 4. So the Robin Hood guys were pretty smart. If they got in this thing at four and it's now trading, you know, six and change, they've had a nice 50%. Uh, yeah. But, but if they the bought market, it a few years ago at 15, of course, they're yeah, not doing as well. It, I was surprised because I would have thought, you know, the, the people that are flocking to free online trading would have come up with some, you know, names I had never heard of, dot com sort of names. Ford Motor Company's the top name. General Electric is number two. American Airlines. Disney, Delta. Disney, I'm okay with. Yeah, but none of these names. See, I, I would have thought they would have been a lot more esoteric. So, well, to your point, for a cutting edge, modern push button app driven thing, those are a lot of companies that have been around for a hundred years. So clearly, um, the tech they're using to deliver these sorts of services are not the same tech they're investing in. And uh, I think part of the reason for that is a lot of the tech companies that are on the cutting edge, you know, their model right now is to lose money to gain share. You talked about this a week or two ago. Amazon is now the poster child of lose money, get big fast, and then the stock market will save you. That bloom might be off the rose with Uber and WeWork and such, but it's still enforced to the extent that a company like Robinhood, um, they are not making money. They want to get big fast and figure out ways to monetize. And they may, they may very well do that. Um, Tesla, same thing. I mean, in order to capture this big market share in a world where you can literally get billions of clients, you know, economies of scale never had quite the same upside uh, as they do now. And so the present value, if you just do expected value of the probabilities of each outcome, you know, as well as I do, Mo, that you can have the best estimate that this will fail, whereas still the expected return could be wildly positive because the 10% of outcomes that win are billions and the 90% are all zero. So you do the math and I think that's what Robinhood is, is into right now and who knows, they might succeed, but it is interesting that the names that they're bringing people to are these old world names. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, uh, and I don't know if this is Goldman Sachs does some stuff on Robin hood and I don't know if positions in uh, S and P 500 stocks, if 4 million positions is a lot, but you know, in, in nine, 2019, you know, they, the Robin hood investors had about 4 million positions in that uh, in the 500, they're now at 14 million positions. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually start changing the way the market behaves, as opposed to so much of the program trading, which dominates the way the market trades, if they continue to represent a bigger slice of the pie. Who knows? I mean, maybe. I mean, Schwab, E-Trade, those kinds of guys have been around for a while. Fidelity, you know, those are the big platforms. Ameriprise, um, Robinhood is, uh, is taking their, you know, their spot. I'll also say while we're talking about Robinhood is simply that if you Google up Robinhood 
SEC regulation, those three words in a row, uh, they don't exactly have this organized around all the rule following yet. So when you look at Schwab and Fidelity, like they're promising things that you can't say, you know, I mean, we're on the show, we're pros, we're careful not to promise anything. I mean, I'm heavily drinking and we have our own personal interests only in mind. Robinhood says something different and they're getting in a little bit, you know, or I guess educated as they get big, they're getting a little educated, but they're certainly brought uh, investments to the masses, much as we do, Mo. But investment to the masses, I mean, you can't buy it from us, but you can hear about it. You know, maybe. That's what I'd like to say. Send us money if you like the show. Yeah, please. Uh, or uh, ice cream as well. So before we dive into a deep dive into the numbers, deep dive, yeah. Thing about the company. Um, there's two people that have got sales on this company. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of holes. Merrill Lynch is at a buy. BC <clears throat> Bank and CFRA, they have sales. Now, I I spent a lot of time on my career on Wall Street and, and no one ever put a sell on a stock because there was no there was no there was no currency in it. You didn't get anything. If you Well, a- bear in mind, Mo, things yeah. have changed a lot since you and I were there, whereas a lot of the commissions and we still have buddies earning money from selling research ideas and the hedge fund guys who are short, they pay a lot of commissions now. So, um, you know, uh, you may not recall this, but I was one of the analysts on wall street that would go to a sell rating. And whenever I would do that, I was like one out of a hundred that would ever do that. And I was always in the camp of the investment guy, but these sell ratings nowadays, they are helping the hedge funds who are in fact short. And those guys pay commissions for um, information on both sides now. So that's an interesting development terms of the value of analysts, you can get paid on the negative information. Now. It is interesting because we talked a little bit last week about the politics of being an analyst. And, and I know some people like that, some of that, those comments, but I got to yeah. tell you, you put a sell on a stock and now there's a development. And what do you do? You have to call a company. You, you can't just reread a press release to your clients. There's no value added. You need to call the company. And get get deeper into the the numbers get deeper. you now have to be uh close with a big shareholder and come on with that person yeah because you're not because the company because they'll just ignore you yeah or you have to show up with a search warrant i mean there are ways to get in there one way i used to do it was i would send uh, ficus trees to CEOs with a note attached to a branch. And that's sort of a Trojan horsey way to get into the CEO. That always gets delivered. Uh, yeah. The other thing that gets delivered is a, a pizza with a very specific recipe where you have a note, deliver only to Jeff or whoever it might be. And then the, the fresh pizza can get through and you can get a note in there. Just some tips to the younger analysts that might be listening. I love that. I love yeah. that kind of stuff you got to get in there somehow and i'm absolutely not kidding and you know it so it's uh so 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 the numbers the one thing that 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 did strike me besides the fact that there's some sales on this stock is that that they have declared dividend i think they had put that on hold for a little bit and and this this company's got an 8.7 percent dividend yield um that's a pretty sweet dividend yield even at, at this price as it's bounced up a tick um, and so unless people are worried about it, well, they're um, worried about it. They are, they are yeah. worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. They're worried okay. about so it. So you can take a look at the, you know, the free cash flow. The, the payout ratio is, is 
has been, you know, it's it's been been all over the map. It's been as high as seventy percent, as as low as thirty percent. Usually, when you're worried about a dividend, you're worried about how much they're paying out of their free cash. But they've got a couple of new models. I tell you, I haven't thought about buying a car in a long time, and they're coming out with a uh, with the Bronco. They haven't they haven't had a Bronco in twenty years, I don't think, and it's a pretty exciting car. It's going to go nose to nose with the Jeep. People love it. Um, they've they've downsized. They've gotten rid of all of their sedans, and so the restructuring of the company maybe is starting to to play out. Um, but from a dividend yield standpoint, it looked interesting. But it really looked interesting from the standpoint that you know so many people are looking at this as a name they want. Now, maybe the game's over. Maybe they all thought it was great at four and at six, it's not so great anymore. Or seven, it's not so great. But um, the dividend yield, if nothing else, is kind of intriguing to me. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there are a couple things to say about Ford from from an earnings uh, point of view, which is they don't have any. So that's my summary of their earnings, uh, their non-existence. So the question that's been on the table for these auto guys for quite some time is, and it's been a problem for a long time. I mean, first, uh, they had 100% market share in the 50s. So that's hard to get back to. Then you had the Japanese come in with their cars, uh, German luxury cars. All of a sudden, the Koreans have low-end cars. Basically, auto manufacturing is the path from being a farming nation to a first world nation. It's the path stop along the way. And so everyone's doing that. And the U.S. auto industry was basically uh, beat up uh, from a market share point of view and um, you know, also just from a, a, a labor uh, point of view, labor costs, you know, U.S., uh, industrial workers had unionized, startup nations uh, with autocratic leaders had not. So anyway, that brings us to here. Um, the companies all nearly went bankrupt, as you know, in 08. The government had to bail these guys out. <clears throat> I think Ford was one company that didn't take bailout money, and they have a long family pride. Uh, I think one of the relatives is, is the chairman right now, if I'm not mistaken, Mo. Um, but they, you know, they've been innovating in some ways that I think are starting to be old. Uh, the Taurus was a big innovation. Uh, you mentioned the Bronco. Um, so they've got a long, you know, they got a long way to go. Obviously, the future is electrics in some way, and they have tried their hand at that. There's a lot of brands pointed at this. It's become a global industry, so it's not the big three anymore. It's the big seven, et cetera. So it's a completely different environment. Their sales have been going down. In 2017, they had $41 billion. In 2020, these are quarterly numbers. They were running in the 40s, now in the 30s. Um, they haven't made money uh, in the last three or four quarters. And when they did make some money, it was just barely. Um, so it's all a question of profitability. The short-term problems that would cause the yield to be 8%, which I agree with Mo is an attractive yield, but it is simply offsetting the risk. Now, to me in this stock, the risks are probably low because the government is not going to let Ford Motor go out of business. In 08, that wasn't clear because the U.S. hadn't been intervening quite as clearly as they are now. Uh, So there's, I think, very little risk in that in the near term um, because of government intervention. But as a going concern, the questions about Ford are simply this. 
And here's a ratio you can do at home. There's a number called market cap, which is just the price times the shares. And it gives you a sense of the value of the equity. So in this case, it's 27 billion. And you're thinking, huh, how could Ford only be 27 billion? Because that seems like a small number, you know, when uh, I think Apple is a trillion dollars. Is this really worth 3% of Apple? Just to put it in perspective for people. Well, not really. There's a thing called enterprise value where you add all the stock and all the debt because the debt is part of what pays for all the factories and such uh, that the company needs to be in business. So it's really the enterprise value that tells you the total value of the company. Market cap is the equity piece. The difference between them is the debt piece. So when you do that ratio, enterprise value here is 148 billion, still tiny compared to Apple. So if you didn't know that, this is a tiny company now compared to the big tech companies. But the ratio of enterprise value to market cap, 148 billion to 27 billion, that's, what is that, five? Five is a scary number on debt to equity. And what that tells you is the value of the equity here is really more like a call option, in my opinion, Mo. It's more, if it works, it could be a home run, but the chance of bankruptcy. There's also a favorite statistic people could go look at called the Altman Z-score, which is just simply looking at cash flows and cash and liabilities. Anything below two historically means bankruptcy in the next three years. This number is 0.8, which again, I don't think the government's going to let that happen, but still, that's why you got your 8% yield in my opinion, Mo, is it looks like, um, you know, it's, it's not doing that well financially. Okay, Robin Hood uh, investors. <laughs> exactly. You heard it from the experts. Well, from the va the value guys, it is a non-value play. Oh my God! Before we go up to your names, uh, Val, is that um, it's always interesting to take a look if you see a whole group of analysts and it's hold, hold, sell, 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 and there's one eager beaver with a buy on it you always want to ask yourself who's the investment banker that does all of yes because that's the guy who has to keep the buy on the stock because yeah it's, because it's an important corporate finance client so who knows why that merrill's a buy on this name but you've heard it from the expert <laughs> i i think there's some a uh, risk in this one but who knows i've been heavily drinking so doctor the patient but these these statistics, these statistics have not been heavily drinking, Mo. I like to point that out. Exactly. So, so. What, have, what, have, what have you turned up? in your Well, I noticed recently that um, by the end of the show, people turn it off. They get bored. We talk a lot. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give, first, let's have a break right now. Let's have a break right now. How many minutes are we into the show? I'm mixing it up, Mo. Calling an audible. Uh, we're 31 minutes into the show. And let's be back right after this with paging through national economic trends, and then we'll see what happens. So stay tuned, everyone. Take a drinking break. Fill up your wine glass, what have you, and we'll be back right after this.
Hello, everybody. We're back. Uh, hope you had a good time there during the break. Hope you did, Mo. Well, we've been doing IT work for the last. I know we've been, uh, and I know you got a guy coming over. So let me be real quick here. We've been taking a lot of people's time. A couple quick things from Fred. This is Fred Economics, uh, Federal Reserve of St. Louis, a great site. Go check it out. Get the app. Learn about your economy. I like that acronym. L A uh, and the rest, how it all comes out. Anyway, Fred, here's what I want to say. My whole career, I used to look at national economic trends, as you know, Mo, right? Also, uh, yeah. national monetary trends. Now, I'd look at that very briefly because all the lines were at zero and they never moved. I'm like, oh, national economic trends. Oh, Federal Reserve balance sheet, zero, whatever, you know? Then in 08, that number that had been zero for 30 years of our career, Went to four trillion. Bam. I'm like, what? And there were shows on this. We were doing the show back then. Now, in the last few months, and this is on Fred, popular series. Go check it out, listeners. They try to hide what it is, but it's the Federal Reserve balance sheet. It says something like total assets, trying to be a little obscure there. Um, it's the balance sheet of the Fed. It means printing money. It's now, it went from four to eight in the last six months. This is just, they're just printing money to save us. And I've done a little homework about wartime and pandemics, and this is what governments need to do. Their, their printed money basically says, trust me that this is good, people accept it, and we all get down the road. And we're basically borrowing money or um, you know, basically selling stock to unborn people from the future. And I've, I've come to think that in emergencies, that's okay, Mo. So I would draw your attention to that. Another one, <clears throat> walking through national economic trends, the 10-year versus the two-year yield curve. That used to be a number that drove people mad. Remember when in 2015, recessions predicted on that number? It, all, it went negative. Everyone was freaking out. Yep. Now it's wildly positive. It's back to levels from a decade ago. No one's talking about it. It's no longer predicting recession. So I think that's worth noting. And then the third one I'll throw out is called real median household income. The cool thing about this, Mo, is it, it cuts out that nasty 1%. They're not upticking the median. The median is just if you lined up people and you you go to the middle income of whoever was the average, not the average, the middle person, the median. That number is the highest it's ever been, I'm happy to say, in real terms. In 2018 dollars, the average, not average, median, the middle person, 63,000 a year, and that's adjusted for inflation. Um, the prior peak um, was in the... Um, you know, in the 07, as you might imagine, and then we got into that bad period. We've now popped through again to the peak household income. And by the way, that includes smaller households. In the old days, you'd have two or two and a half or three people per household. Now it's less than two, as you know, more and more people choose to put off getting, a, a, you know, a partner, live by themselves. So that those three statistics, go look them up on Fred. Uh, the Fred balance, the Fed balance sheet. It's scary. Save it for Halloween, perhaps. 10-year versus two-year yield, no longer a recession. Why isn't that on the front page of the newspaper instead of all the scary stuff? And then household income, real median, 
highest of all time. Why isn't that on the pay in the paper, Mo? Well, Val, I got a question for you, and it uh, tells you how how jaded we become. Eight trillion doesn't sound like a lot of money. Where does that number go if we have another rescue package? And that number double again? Ah, uh, well. <laughs> I mean, I think you've got, um, it's going to go to 10 or 12, the, the T word, Mo, trillion. One of the guys that I worked for a long time ago was a guy named Pete Peterson, and he started the Peters, Pete Peterson Institute, and he's a big deficit hawk. And this was, this was 20 years ago. He was predicting that if the, if the federal debt continues to go up, we would be spending 80% of tax revenues just servicing the debt. Now that never happened because interest rates went- Well, there you go. That's why I'm so sure that interest rates can't rise because if they do, we go broke. So they'll just simply engineer the interest rate staying low in part by having deflation the interest rate could actually be in real terms pretty high i talked about real yields a few weeks ago and uh, you got to subtract inflation okay the show's getting old mo's got company coming over two quick ideas two quick ideas one uh and these came off a screen that i did a growth screen this week mo a growth screen that was basically who's got earnings growing, who's got revenues growing faster than their industry averages, very interesting. But then a hundred companies came through. So I said, what a, let me look at the cheapest ones on enterprise value to revenue. So okay. growth stocks that are cheap. How about that? I'm trying to- Sounds like a unicorn to me. Yeah, but I'm trying to mix worlds, trying to mix worlds. Let's have a diverse portfolio. Let's get all the stocks in a room. How about that, Mo? And, and how many names fell into them? Uh, well, I, I shrunk it down to about 40 names. And a bunch of them, as you might imagine, are restaurants who uh, were growing until you know very recently. Yep. In fact, one of the uh, economics I didn't mention is the most recent month in restaurant sales were down uh, 60% year over year in the month of um, May. So, but no, the first one is LGI Homes. I've talked about home building in the past. I want to make this kind of quick um, because I know Mo's got a guy going coming over here. Plus my screen, here we go. This was a screen that basically, as I said, looked at growth stocks that had, you know, growth in earnings and revenue, et cetera, above their averages for their industry. Um, I just crunched that down to an enterprise value to revenue screen, just something below two, and about 50 came through that. And a bunch of them look like stocks that may or may not make it. You know, a lot of trends are changing, as we've talked about. Um, one of the things that's not changing is people like to live in homes, and it's a pretty basic thesis that uh, people enjoy shelter. And these guys make, as I said, a pretty much a, a mainstream type of home. They are on the sh smaller beginning end, the starter home. They're in the more sophisticated home. Um, and so they can do soup to nuts. And they undoubtedly have an organization that's very careful about where they're putting their new homes, where they're buying land, something to pay attention to. And I've done as little work as possible here, but is are they buying land well in advance of their needs, making bets on real estate in effect and where trends will be with regard to population trends, or are they staying close to the vest simply 
buying what's available or optioning what's available at the time uh, and then going to build your home. So I haven't done enough homework to know which, which one is going on here. But here's what I would say. Um, it's 13 times EBITDA. I like to do the inverse of that. You know, that's seven times cash on cash. Uh, they've got a balance sheet that's clean. It's no risk of bankruptcy here. Four on the Altman score. Um, in terms of some of the other metrics, the, uh, the gross margin is in the 20s, which is pretty good. Profit quarterly, uh, pre-tax profit margin, close to 10%, which is very strong. Return on equity, 26%. I think that's pretty high for any company. Return on capital has been running in the low to mid-teens, which I like a lot. So, um, you know, LGI Homes, I... I'd say check it out. In terms of its competitors, um, you know, there's some other guys you could look out here, Pulte, Lennar, and um, LGI is uh, trading on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis, kind of right in the middle of the pack. You could pay a little more, you could pay a little less. Um, on a PE basis, they're a little bit below average. Earnings yield, as I've said, um, is right around, you know, 7%, which is very positive. So that's LGI Homes. Do your own homework, 116 bucks. Um, LGIH is the ticker. And then, Mo, the other one I liked, and uh, the show's getting pretty long, so I apologize keeping everybody here. The other one I like here, Mo, is Dactronics, D-A-K-T. A lot of stocks that made it through the screen were you know, beat up restaurants and things that might not recover, particularly if some big trends change. Uh, what I like about this one is they're also beat up because of the COVID environment. Um, but I do believe this is going to have a nice recovery. Uh, Dectronics designs, manufactures, and uh, sells electronic scoreboards, programmable display systems, large screen video for sporting events and transportation applications. So certainly Im impaired in the short term here, but I think big scoreboards, uh, big information systems, you know, those things have a very long life and um, they usually break down because of technology versus actually breaking. So I have a feeling that, um, you know, we're going to have a couple quarters here with impaired orders because people don't know what's going on. Um, but are sports going to be back? Uh, I think so. I think that's a fair bet. Bet. Are humans going to be humans? If they were doing it in Rome, I have a good feeling they're going to be doing it now. This is a bite-sized little company, by the way, if somebody wants to take it over. Uh, there's a lot of firms that are very well capitalized where some sector in their business has been, you know, harmed. They're going to be looking for accretive acquisitions. At eight times EBITDA, this is bite-sized. It's uh, $190 million in market cap. You know, Disney's hosting the NBA on their property. They could they could tuck this in in about five minutes. So I like that a lot about it. All the stats look pretty good in terms of um, margins. It's mid-20s, but, you know, with a bigger choir, they could probably improve that with some economies around um, cost of raw materials and things like that. These guys have no debt, zero debt. So the Altman score is three, which is a predictor of bankruptcy, but it's Probably not going bankrupt when they have absolutely no debt. Uh, when you look at the top line here, I mean, if you're going to have 
a negative to the company. It's a flattish top line, scoreboards, uh, it's replacement value, I'm sure. These things probably have 20, 30-year lives, which means, you know, you do the math, 30-year life is a, you know, is a 3% uh, every year, you know, from replacement. So it could be that kind of growth rate. They probably give up uh, on price, et cetera. Uh, but they've been very disciplined around price. Uh, I'm sorry, about SG&A about R&D, this company is uh, generating cash pretty consistently, and um, you know their share count has been stable, um, and their net cash flow, you know after uh, uh, after dividends and such has been very stable. Ending cash very stable, you know change in cash, it's either slightly positive or negative every year. Um, I think this one is just going to get acquired frankly it's accretive to somebody dactronics d a k t and so um you know what can i tell you we've already been through national economic trends mo actually had to run off to a meeting at the uh, club or what have you i'm here you know basically having a drink and giving a couple of ideas it does give me an opportunity however to say I really want to thank all the long-term listeners. You know, we've been doing the show a long time. We've got a handful. We've got a, a bunch of listeners that have been listening to the show a long time. Very appreciative. And, uh, and so any new listeners, I'd encourage you to write in. Um, we like to communicate, see what's going on. Um, and um, hopefully you'll, you'll get a few good ideas from the show uh, going forward. There's also 300 shows, I think more than that, going back over the years. And a lot of them get pretty deep into our uh, approach to uh, equity valuation and things like that. And they also get pretty deep into you know how much we like drinking on Fridays, but that's a whole other matter. So um, that's our show for today. See all our disclosures, comments. Mothers are, why do I keep saying this backwards? Pictures our mothers took, Jesus, at www.thevalueguys.com. Um, here we are at the end, so only really um, long-time listeners are still here. So let me throw out a few, a uh, few shout-outs to some people who've been writing in, and I'm appreciative of that. Uh, first of all, we always have Phil uh, providing some very nice feedback on what's going on here at the show, and I'm always appreciative of that. Um, and then, uh, let's see here. Um, we recently had a wonderful note from Wayne uh, and, uh, you know, he's been out there a long time saying hello. Nagesh, long time listener, decades. And, uh, and Steve B, that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to give away. So, uh, these folks are writing in. We're appreciative of that. And, um, hopefully, you found the show interesting and if not of course it's been a complete waste of time um and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week thanks a lot everybody hope to talk to you soon bye-bye